Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Take out your Bibles, if you will. We're going to turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. On this um, Good Friday, I, I was as I was preparing for this message this week, um, I, I looked at it from a few different perspectives, and there's there's just so much to the death of Christ, um, just so much that we can learn, and, and so many important things that come from Christ's sacrifice. It's hard to narrow it down, and so instead of keeping you guys here for four hours, we're going to narrow it down a little bit further. And so John chapter 19 and verse 30. So if you'll look down to verse 30, I'm just going to simply read this first, and you guys can stand with me if you would in the honor of the one who gave us this word. Just one single verse. We're going to focus in on three words. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Let's pray. Holy God, we come before you today to worship you, to honor and remembrance the sacrifice that you made for us, the, the, the punishment that you took in our place, the penalty that you paid for us, uh, that you did freely according to your own plan, uh, giving up your life. We glorify you and thank you for what you did, for we would not be gathered here were not for that grace. Help us to understand that, help us to, to, to wrestle with that, and to really commit that to um, our hearts and our minds to carry us through um, in all times. Lord, help us to remember that this is, this is at the center of the gospel. In your holy name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. So, <clears throat> the three words that I want to focus on, that the title of the message tonight is, It is finished. It is finished. It's a Greek word um, pronounced tetelestai. To Telestai. And the reason why I'm giving you the meaning of uh, the actual original language is because in English, the idea of it is finished is really incomplete. Uh, to Telestai actually means it is accomplished, as in a mission is complete. It's, it is finished. So when we often think of the idea of it is finished, we think of, well, was this, was this Christ just giving up his life? In other words, was my life finished? Um, was was what was it? Was the, the crucifixion finished? Like what, what was finished? And so when we think of it in the appropriate way of it is accomplished, it adds so much more to the gravity of what Christ was saying on the cross. And I thought it was appropriate as we prepare to launch uh, Grace Covenant Church this very Sunday, Easter Sunday, that it would take time tonight to look at what Christ accomplished on the cross. Because those three words, I would argue, are the most impactful three words that Christ spoke during his time on earth. Um, the weight of those three words uh, is beyond compare. Uh, it, it's, it's truly mind-boggling, uh, the, the implications of it is accomplished. The idea of it being finished really almost defies understanding from a human perspective. But we're going to attempt to look at why or what needs to be accomplished, so what needed to be accomplished, how was it accomplished, and then is it accomplished? Um, so we're going to try to keep this short and, and focused, very focused on what it is that Christ accomplished. Because as we launch our church, as we look at launching fully on Sunday, which is a miracle, God's provision has been seen, it's beautiful. 
but let us not forget the reason why we are here, the reason why we are a local body, the reason why we're launching a church here in Marshfield is because Christ accomplished what he set out to do all those years ago. The entire foundation of everything we do is because he accomplished his mission. And so we're going to take a look at that this evening. So the first question that I want to answer from this text is what needs to be accomplished? What needs to be accomplished? And that the very fact that we, we have a savior means that we needed a savior. The very fact that he accomplished something means there's something he had to have accomplished. And so when we think through Genesis 3, you don't have to turn there, but Genesis 3, we know is the fall of mankind, the fall of, of the entrance of sin into the world, the, the tainting of the entire creation that God made to, to have for us to have relationship with him, that relationship was lost. And so we know in Genesis 3, we were separated from him. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that means that atonement needed to be accomplished. We needed to be reconciled to God. A separation had to be fixed. So in order for that to be accomplished, there had to be a penalty, a price paid for the sin that man had committed. So there had to be something atoned for. That word atonement means an appeasement, a, a, a <clears throat> taking away of wrath, a satisfaction, if you will. An atonement means that that sacrifice that was required to make reconciliation to a holy God had to be made. In fact, it wasn't even all just the atonement piece. God's wrath had to be abated. God's wrath had to be abated. John 3.36, and you can write that down. You can turn there if you'd like because you're not very far away, but I'll read it for us. John chapter 3 and verse 36. It says, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The consequences of our sin is that the wrath of a holy God abides on the individual, on every human being who was plunged into sin from the very beginning. And this need for Atonement can be seen. God gave us a beautiful picture of what is required to pay for sin in the sacrificial system. The entire point of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament was not so that the Israelites could pay for their sins. The blood of those animals didn't actually do anything. The entire reason the sacrificial system was there is so that God could show us what is required for the breaking of his law. Blood had to be shed. And it wasn't any blood. You couldn't just prick your finger and hope that things would get better. It was a perfect sacrifice in the placement of the one, in the place of the one who had sinned. You cannot atone for yourself. God made that very clear. When you sin, you cannot make up the difference to me. You are already sinful. You are in no condition to pay for what you did because you are tainted. Sin has impacted you. And so he showed us this picture of a perfect sacrificial lamb, Leviticus. Read the first 10 chapters of Leviticus and get the, the idea, the, the feel of the perfection of God and the requirement of his 
Reconciliation is a perfect animal with no blemishes had to be sacrificed. Blood had to be shed. And so he set this example up all those centuries ago. Hebrews 9.22 tells us very, very clearly. Hebrews 9.22, it says, And according to the law, one may almost say, All things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. So here's where we find ourselves. What needed to be accomplished? Blood of a perfect human being had to be shed in order for us to be reconciled. That's what had to be accomplished. Either man had to pay the penalty for his sins, or an atonement had to be made. So either man carries the weight of the offense of a holy God, and he bears that wrath for all eternity, or an atonement in his place, a substitution for the penalty that we would have to pay for ourselves had to be made. So when we think about what Christ did, what needed to be accomplished, we had to be reconciled to God because we could not do it ourselves. So that had to be accomplished. But how was it accomplished? My second point, how was it accomplished? The wrath of God had to be poured out on something. We mentioned that a moment ago. Either the man who broke the law would take that wrath, or it had to be poured out. So if someone was going to take the wrath of God, it had to be someone who was perfect. The sacrificial example that God gave us in the system of the Old Testament, the system of the Israelites, proves that the person had to be perfect. Anyone in here perfect? No. no. So what, what's going to happen? What, how, how does this, and God, in his sovereignty and in his grace and in his mercy, looked on us with love? We've been talking through Ephesians chapters 1 and 2, and how many times does it talk about the love of God displayed in his mercy and grace? And so he planned this before the very foundation of time that in order to accomplish our atonement, in order for someone to take the penalty in our place, the penal substitution had to be made. The penalty, the substitution had to be made. And so we see, uh, Wes read a portion of Isaiah earlier. Surely our griefs, I'll just repeat it here. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our peace fell upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. healed. So God sets down through his prophets, and he says, this is what has to occur. This is what will occur. There will be someone coming in the future. And we can track this down all through Scripture, can we not? Even in Genesis 3, right when the fall occurred, God said there will be someone who would come that would crush the head of the serpent. And he told Abraham, there will be someone from your seed that will bless every nation. Every nation will be blessed because of him. And you see Moses, the perfect, beautiful picture of Christ, the, the, the type of Christ in Moses and the sacrifices he made and, the, and the, the leading of the people of God. And you see it all through scripture. You see all David showing up, God choosing him and showing that there would be a king. Aaron, the priest. All these different things that point to someone taking the place 
that it was going to be accomplished. And so how did this happen? How was this accomplished? There was a man some 2,000 years ago that came to this earth that was born of a virgin. We all know the story so well, but let me refresh your memory so we can revel in it together. He was born of a virgin and he came to this earth and lived a perfect life. The perfect, sinless Lamb of God. His own son came to this life. The son of God who created the universe came to this earth and sneezed. He came to this earth and had to catch his breath when he got winded. He came to this earth and was tempted in every way that we are and yet did not sin. He came to this earth and probably got teased as a child. Everything that we face, he faced, yet without sin. And then this world, through jealousy and sin that we brought in in the first place, took this perfect lamb, this undefiled child of God, and he, they took him and said, we cannot handle the fact that you have no sin. The pride of man is unquenchable. And they said, you are taking attention off of us. The Jews said, we cannot have that. The Romans, the best judicial system of that day, possibly arguably of history, found him to be innocent and would not stand on justice. So the perfect, innocent son of God was sent to be whipped. 39 times. The carnage that that has, I won't go into detail now, but I encourage you to look through it for a reality check. The carnage that that brings is unbelievable. And then he was wrapped in a robe where the blood would dry. And he was shoved a crown of thorns. And these are not, these are not rose thorns. Understand, these are, are what we would call around here the Joshua trees with the thorns that are, are this. This is the kind of idea. This is the thorns that would grow in that area. And it was shoved. It was not placed. It was shoved down upon his head. And this bloody pulp of a perfect lamb was then marched to a hill where he was nailed to a cross so that his blood would be shed. What did we learn earlier? Blood had to be shed. And he willingly submitted himself to this injustice for us. And not only did he endure that physical suffering, but Matthew 27, verses 45 through 46, shows us that he endured the wrath that was set aside for us. That he not only endured the physical suffering so that his blood would be shed. That's the rules. That's what God said. Blood had to be shed for forgiveness. And so now... In Matthew 27, verses 45 through 46, we can read, Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And this was not a fracture in the Trinity, as some try to say. This is an understanding of the wrath of the Holy Father being poured out upon his own son for us. The God-man that came to this earth endured in three hours an entire eternity's worth of wrath for every elect on this planet. Past, present, and future. It's unbelievable that he would take that for me, for one individual, for an eternity of wrath, but he did it for every single person that God gave him to redeem, without fail. And there are some who would say, well, how can one man take the wrath for all of these men for all eternity during that three-hour period? That is the Son of God. That is the creator of the universe, the preeminent Christ. His value is so far beyond our comprehension, we can't even begin to describe it. And yet that preeminent one who created all things, Colossians tells us, created all things, gave himself for us. And on that cross, after that three hours, he's going to say those three impactful words. And we'll get there in just a minute. But I want to read, when we think about the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, we know that there was a high priest that would go into the interior, the Holy of Holies, and give a sacrifice once a year to atone for the sins of the nation. And we know that he would go in and he would carry that sacrifice and he would make that atonement. And I want you to hear what Hebrews says Jesus does. It's beautiful. Hebrews 9, 24 through 26. It's tremendous. Hebrews 9, 24 through 26. For Christ did not enter holy places made with hands, mere copies of the true ones, catch that, mere copies, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy places year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. How was it accomplished? He sacrificed himself and took that sacrifice to heaven himself and said, it is accomplished. It is finished. Those three impactful words changed history. The author of Hebrews even says, at the consummation of the ages, the pinnacle of human history is those three words. It is accomplished. And so the third question we have to ask, yes, I, I see all that. I see that it's done. But is it, is it accomplished? Is it really done? It absolutely is. Let's look at a few more passages that will culminate the idea that this is locked in. And the reason why I wanted to start with this right before we launch is to settle in your minds and hearts before the spiritual attack of launching a body in a new place becomes so real that we forget that it is really accomplished. Let us rest in what we know is truly and completely accomplished. His victory... His victory cry declared the accomplishment of his atonement. I want to challenge our thinking just a bit because we are so often influenced by culture or 
evangelicalism at large. So many people say Good Friday is good because Sunday's coming. I'm not taking away anything from the resurrection. I'm not. I'm not taking anything away from the sacrifice that he made physically and took the wrath. It is Good Friday because it's finished on Friday. It is Good Friday because he took our wrath upon himself. It's not Good Friday because Sunday's coming. So leave Sunday to its own amazement. Good Friday is good because we are no longer considered bad. Think about that. Good Friday is good because we are seen to be good with Christ's righteousness. Good Friday is good because he accomplished the mission. And when he said that it is finished and it is accomplished, it is truly done. And I say it's a victory cry because in Mark chapter 15, 37, you can write that down, Mark 15, 37, and Jesus uttering a loud cry breathed his last. So Mark doesn't record the words, it is finished. But when you look at the timeline of the other authors of the Gospels and you compare his victorious yell, his, his loud voice, and then you look at John and you see that he said those three words right before he gave up his spirit, you can pretty easily make the connection that he made this loud cry of it is finished. Does that sound like a defeated individual? Does that sound like someone who was being forced to do something or someone who gave himself up and accomplished a mission? Does that sound like a lowly carpenter who was not God or does that sound like a victorious king who rules the universe? And yes, the, the, the trauma of our Savior and what he went through is mind-boggling, but I want us to focus on his victory. We serve a victorious king. He gave himself for us, and he accomplished that victory by giving himself up. When he said it is accomplished, he put himself, he was given by the Father back that power when he raised himself in three days. He was given back that power, and he now sits at the throne, in absolute authority over all things because he accomplished that mission. And that's how we see the love of God. 1 John 4.10. 1 John 4.10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the atonement, the penal substitutionary sacrifice so that you and I would be counted righteous before a holy God. That is what true love is. Love is not a fuzzy feeling. Love is not something that you're infatuated with. Love is action. God shows us he is love. He says, I am love. So what he does is love. Do you follow? So if God is love and he says, this is love, that I gave my son to be the propitiation for your sins, that is what love is. So when he said it is done, it was finished and complete. Before I, I get ready to close, I wanted to keep it shorter tonight for us, but I want to read from Romans chapter 3. It's a longer passage, but I want to read it because it, it really does. Paul can summarize what Christ did so much better than I can. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. 
Follow along with me if you have the scriptures, because this is just amazing. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith for a demonstration of his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Do you see the summary of everything we just walked through from beginning to end of Scripture? And I didn't hit every point. I don't have time for that. But do you see the summation of, of what Paul is saying? The blood was shed. Christ's righteousness was on display. The propitiation was made. By faith in Christ, we are redeemed. By faith in Christ, it is finished. And so with a victory shout, Christ says, it is finished or it is accomplished. My mission is done. With a shout of victory, he says this. And then look at what it says. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. It doesn't say he died. He gave up his spirit. The willingness of the Son of God to give himself was down to the very last moment when he himself willingly gave up his spirit because no one could take that from him. And so he gave up his spirit for us. The shedding of blood and death had to be accomplished for the mission to be done. And so he shouted this victorious cry and he put the, the nail in the coffin of death. He put the nail there so that it would no longer have control. So that our righteousness would come from him. So that our wrath for those three hours would be sealed in him and not one drop, not one iota, not one tiny fragment of that wrath is reserved for anyone who has faith in Christ. He took it all. Every last bit. And so Grace Covenant, as we get ready to launch, think about that. As we get ready to look towards our Savior, remember he is a victorious king. This is Good Friday because he accomplished his mission. And in three days when we launch, we're going to look at the beautiful resurrection that he has. And Ephesians 2, 6 says, and he raised us up with him. We get to look at being re-rescued from death just like Christ was. How beautiful is that? So as we, as we prepare to launch, lock that in. Make that the foundation. Our king is victorious. He accomplished his mission. It is finished. Let me read a quote to you from Charles Spurgeon. There is nothing for God to do. It is finished. There is nothing for you to do. It is finished. Christ need not bleed. It is finished. You need not weep. It is finished. God the Holy Spirit need not delay because of your unworthiness, nor need you delay because of your helplessness. It is finished. <laughs> 
Every stumbling block is rolled out of the road. Every gate is opened. The bars of brass are broken. The gates of iron are burst asunder. It is finished. Come and welcome. Come and welcome. It is finished. There is nothing that can separate us from him. It is finished. He accomplished his mission. We embrace the victory that Christ has won. That's what I want us to do. Embrace that victory. Because we are united with the victorious king. We can shout along with him. It is finished. Not because of our work, but because of his. We have the victory of being united with him and raised with him and co-heirs with Christ. He went to the throne of heaven and showed the blood that he shed for us so that we are his and he is ours. Everything we do from this point going on, going forward, church, not that we haven't already, but everything we do from this point going forward as we hit our full launch, I am fully prepared for the spiritual war that will be here. Keep this as your foundation. You are united with the victorious king who accomplished his victory. Say it with me. It is finished. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the redemptive plan that you have allowed us to observe and remember today. Help us to understand and keep at the forefront of our mind the victory that you have. The victory that is shared with us by your grace, for we are victorious in you. Sin has no hold on us, Lord. Help us to remember that. Satan has no authority over us. Help us remember that. Help us remember that we serve a victorious king. In your holy name I pray. Amen.